Hi, this is Steve Wick, president of Drive Through RPG, and you're listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week, Morris and Peter are joined by Ryan Nock to talk about Ian Publishing's campaign setting, Zeitgeist. In the news, D&D's Jeremy Crawford clarifies the Dungeons & Dragons canon policy, Games Workshop gives all its employees a £5,000 bonus, pre-orders for the Doctor Who 2nd Edition role-playing game are now live, and more, plus our favorite game in all the world and a brand new sketch about the amazing new features in this year's Bag of Holding model. All on this week's Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. The Thieves Guild has sponsored today's podcast. The Thieves Guild is your number one destination for the procurement of robbers, burglars, housebreakers, shoplifters, pickpockets, muggers, larcenists, pilferers, poachers, embezzlers, swindlers, crooks, cutpurses, footpads, and lurchers. Just head down to the Clothmakers Guild and ask for a pebble-down mattress, wink twice, and answer fiddle me D when they ask you your name. But don't tell them I sent you. I owe them money. All the tabletop role-playing news we aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse And Morris is unofficial Tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ. And with me this week is... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ has ever. I am completely delighted to be here. Hey, guess what, Peter? What? What is it? We managed to drag another guest in off the streets. Uh, but wait, this is not just any guest that we dragged in off the streets. This is, in fact, the one, the only Ryan Nock. A secret agent, some say, a designer without portfolio, others. <laughs> some might even describe him as a freelancer for Ian Publishing. Who can say? But most importantly, he's best known to us as the author of Zeitgeist. Mm. Hi. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Uh, I am sleep deprived and lacking air conditioning because uh, it's, uh, Georgia is awful. But hi, it's good to be here. We can talk about Zeitgeist at it later. Hello. But let's talk about yeah. the other news. So. Yes. Let's start with a little bit of news straight out of the mouths of Wizards of the Coast. Yes. What have they got? Wizards of the Coast. So they they have said that they are designing adventures deliberately these days. As opposed to on accident. (laughs) Accidentally designing adventures. That's how I run them usually. So (laughs) I wrote another adventure. Go on. (laughs) Yeah. So they're deliberately writing them with like shorter content chunks. Oh, so okay. that it's easier, A, for streaming, which is a big part of their audience these days, and B, for, you know, adult gamers who are busy mm-hmm. and it's harder to carve out chunks of time, like four or six hours to play. Mm-hmm. So they're designing their adventures with, a, with shorter content chunks that you can maybe do in 90 minutes to two hours mm-hmm. instead. Okay. I'm all for that. I think it's a really good idea. I, I mean, to be fair, like if they do that, then that is about the length of actual playtime in a regular RPG session. If you allow for all the blathering, looking for dice, <laughs> and uh, God help you if combat <laughs> strikes. In fact, I'd argue that's the length of playtime in an average six-month campaign. Whereas I feel like just moving to fifth edition made things go a lot faster for actual plays because I. I think I recorded once like a fourth edition game and it yeah. uh, the fiddliness of the combats. I adored it, but uh mm. not good, yeah. not good well, for fifth radio. Ed- fifth edition's really really is suited for streaming, isn't it? Yeah. It's just the right yeah. right pitch of sort of light 
light mechanic. Well, it's not light. It's, it's kind flexible. of uh, mid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so but if you did want it less light, you could have maybe some sort of advanced SRM. I can't think of anybody who would do such a thing. Who <laughs> would be so foolish as to attempt? Who would have to grease the arrogance to take on the Wizards of the Coast and attempt to advance upon their design? Mm. No. Anyway. <laughs> I can't think of anybody that would do such a thing. Uh, so anyway, anyway, anyway. That, that is what Wizards of the Coast is doing with their adventures. Yeah. They're making shorter content chunks. And uh, you, can, you can sort of see this happening already, and it has been for a while. Mm-hmm. Because um, they kind of say, like, starting with the Essentials kit. When was that? Oh, was years four ago, years ago now? Yeah. 20, no, yeah, the right. Essentials for... Oh, the 5th edition Essentials. Sorry, I was like, what are you talking That's about? It, yeah, yeah. We covered this on the podcast, so <laughs> post-2017, I feel <laughs> yeah, okay. able to narrow it down to. But, but things like Ryan with the Frost Maiden, it's quite cool. easily divided up into smaller segments, oh, okay. which you can play for an hour and a half to two hours at a time. Okay. I mean, like, but what's an example like, of a of a longer segment? It's just like a gigantic dungeon that's got forty rooms, or I mean, you always have you know, like segment by segment. Like, ideally, you or have maybe the first part. Mm-hmm. I think things like um, you know, All like Greg, some some of them are quite a little bit sandboxy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's quite hard to double up into a specific segment because you could you could play in an area for like six hours yeah. without progressing yeah. to the next part of the story. Mm-hmm. I guess that, maybe I don't know. Uh, yeah, I also just wonder how much this is them saying, "Hey, game masters, try to get this done in ninety minutes to like set a benchmark, so people know, like, oh, I shouldn't be just sitting around checking rules for ten minutes." Let's, let's do some more news. Yes, I don't know if there is an awful lot of news this week. They say, "Look, we have got yes. Games Workshop." Oh yes, yes, has given its staff mm-hmm. five thousand pounds each. Oh, good that. That is <laughs> nice. That, that's that's and in uh, the in the um, international freedom units, that's what about eight thousand, eight thousand dollars. I guess, uh, yeah, seven, eight, maybe. Um, so, like the pandemic, it's like hit a lot of industries pretty hard. Yeah. And the tabletop gaming industry, I think, generally, it's had shipping issues, yeah. especially from China, mm. where shipping containers are spiked. Yeah. But that aside, mm. the tabletop gaming industry hasn't been hit as hard as many others, I think, and in some cases. The tabletop gaming industry is actually booming. Yes. Yeah. Like Wizards of the Coast is having its best year ever yet again, and Roll20, obviously, in the virtual tabletops are. Yeah, yeah. Um, so but, painting um, little models is very popular as well. Yeah, well, yeah <laughs> but I would have thought like something like Warhammer, which is very much a in-person game, isn't it? Because you need a big table and lots of models and people there. Yeah, but they also do things like more time and Necromunda and various other right. things. Mm. I mean, I haven't played, I haven't played a Games Workshop like tabletop game for years, but like they, they've yeah. got video games too. So yeah, yeah, that is true. Not, true. not so relevant to the Warhammer stores. Uh, why have they given what they're, what they're citing here is mm. that it's mainly Warhammer 40k and their new Cursed City game. I'm not sure what that is, but yeah. there's a new game called Cursed City. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's the sales are up 30%, with pre-tax Ooh. profits being up 70% over last year. Okay. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, and so they've got like uh, 2,500 employees-ish, yep. give or take, mm-hmm. um, and that includes people in shops, mm-hmm. model designers, mm-hmm. support staff, yeah, yep. so about 2,500 people. Each of those is getting five grand. Nice. Which is hey, nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people uh, yeah. for money. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. hopefully that produces good content. By the way, uh, I looked up Cursed City. It is a box that looks to be, I think, 200 pounds. And that's maybe the weight and the price. So, um, 
Oh, don't want time. Yeah. Don't want to keep that on the lower shelves, eh? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, this is so they've got like five hundred odd stores. Yeah. Um, they've had to close a few recently, mm. but um, there's apparently a bunch of plans to open a load more in the US, mm. Japan, and China. Mm. Yes. So they're yeah. on a oh. kind of expansion phase. It looks like, but also they got a bunch of financial support from the government during the pandemic. Yeah. Like a lot of businesses did. They're giving that back. Mm-hmm. Turns out they didn't need it, and they're giving it back, okay. which is nice. Yeah, I don't know how the uh, UK government handled like pandemic finances for jobs, but if it's anything like the US, hmm. then but, if you well, no, they didn't give me anything, I'll tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whereas I I had Moving such a weird situation. I work in a library, and like ah. nobody mm. could come in, but like the library was going to stay funded, so I just kind of watched lots of tutorials on how to be better at customer service. Yeah. So are, are you now better at customer service? Uh, How tutorials work? I've, I've forgotten how to socialize with other human beings, so maybe not. But like you, know, rationally, I'm aware of like, yeah. Some might argue you never knew. Yeah. <laughs> customer service skills, up. social anxiety skills, also up. It's a problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas for me, it barely changed my life at all, which is kind of weird and mildly disturbing. Well, what kind of thing? always been my favourite, my favourite hermit for us. Yeah, well, that's what you get when you work at home, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, I think that's really good news coming from Games Workshop. Yes. So you know, five grand to each employee, mm. giving back the government assistance money. Yeah. See, like I, I didn't consider when I, when I saw the news that it's not just like the people in the games; it's actually like all the people working in the stores and everything like that too. That's. As far yeah, as I know, it's everybody. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's a lot, there are a lot of people that going to make a very. That might basically be like their uh, wage packet again. Yeah, or half of it. I imagine they like pro rata it with people who are part time or something. Because you know, oh. I, I don't know. Why, why, why am I? Why am I saying that? I have no idea. Yeah. I do not know. Yeah. But I, I would guess that they do. But anyway, yeah, that's good news. Yeah, yeah. And, and they can buy right, what, Doctor Who three or four or minis with that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, are we including the paints as well? Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, Doctor Who, second edition. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Cubicle can, 7, yeah? Yeah, oh. you can pre-order it now. Mm-hmm. And it's got a lovely cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we talked about the cover last week, I think, didn't we? Yes. With um, Jodie Whittaker, who is, they've just announced mm-hmm. that she's leaving Doctor Who next year, oh. along with Chris Chibnall, who's the show current showrunner. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I feel like we already knew that. I'm sure I've known that for ages. I mean, I assumed it because yeah. no one I know from my like, wife. I feel like some newspapers broke it mm. like months ago, yeah. like they always do. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, like the BBC said nothing. As they never do. Is this a card game anyway, or is this an RPG? It's a full this RPG. This is the RPG. Yeah. So this is the, yeah, they've been doing the RPG since like 2008 or something. Yeah, something Long like time. It's been a while, yeah. Long term, yeah. But this is the second edition of the RPG. Yes. Which is now streamlined to run faster. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that that you can pre-order now. You can get the PDF now mm. if you pre-order it. Yeah. Mm. You can pre-order the hardcover. Mm. Also, you can get this collector's edition. Mm. This is pretty cool. And this might might tempt me. I don't know. So it looks like a TARDIS. Ooh. Dangerous. And it's kind of got this slip case that opens up. Okay. And then let me let me give you a link and you Ready? can see it. Let me stick this in the chat. This does sound pretty yeah. awesome. So they've got the role-playing game in a TARDIS-shaped box. I've always I've always wondered, like, how do you run Doctor Who time travel games? But I guess, I mean, you just the time travel is just an excuse to get out to places. Um, yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Time travel is just a gimmick, isn't it? But yeah, um, oh, that, that's the, cool. fun, that's the cool. fun thing about Doctor Who is its initiative system. So yes. um, it tries to emulate how it works on the TV shows. Mm-hmm. So. So in order, it's the people who talk yeah. go first, <laughs> then the people, what? then the people who want run, do, I think, I or think something, the then the people who something. act, yeah. and then finally the people who fight go last. Yes, I, I love that. So, that's, that's very nice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so basically, it explains a lot of Doctor Who. Oh, okay, yeah. they're running away. Has they're busy being shot up by Daleks, and those poor yeah. chaps from the unit who are like, "Yeah, we can take them." How hard could they be? They're basically just a <laughs> bunch of angry <laughs> crash cans. Yeah, yes. I my spine. <laughs> so it does. It does mean if someone's about to shoot you before they pull the trigger, you have time to give a monologue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Build a new piece of technology. Yes. And then run away yes. before they pull the trigger. That's great. Which pretty much is how Doctor Who works, I think. Yeah, isn't it? exactly. That's why it's such a good system. Yeah. Commendations to whoever wrote that. That's good. Yeah. Do you remember last week when we talked about Wizards of the Coast talking about what's canon and what is not? Yeah, yes. They declared that anything that wasn't a fifth edition source book uh, was not canon, as I recall. Yes. Yeah. So they've, they've expanded on that now. Mm-hmm. They have posted a blog article where they talk about it. So it was Jeremy Crawford last week yes. who indicated that only the D&D 5th edition hardcover books were canonical right. for, for the role-playing game. So the novels aren't, the comics aren't, video games aren't. <laughs> the previous right. editions of D&D right, aren't. Yeah. That, that's the previous possible. editions aren't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so they've kind of clarified that. So basically what they're saying is each edition of D&D has its own canon. Okay. So what's canon to second edition isn't necessarily canon to fifth edition. Right. And third Which edition. I, guess, I mean, it makes it easier for the Forgotten Realms. You don't have to blow the place yeah. up, so. Well, there is that, too. Yeah. But um, they did kind of um, point out that basically some things have changed from one edition to the next anyway. Yeah. Like, uh, like demons and devils changed quite a bit between first and second edition. So, you know, which of those two is canon then, for example. So it's like, it's like Doctor Who, where... It contradicts mm-hmm. itself so many times. Yes, I suppose. Yeah. No. Sure. Uh, I said I, I had a friend back in school who did play D anD D, but then he saw the older books were like the Tenari and the Batazu. He was okay with, but his he had a good mm. Christian family, and when they discovered that they were demons in Dungeons and Dragons, he was like, I "Can't do that anymore." Seriously, it was. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But but the whole point is you're not making friends with demons. You're like, oh, I see a demon. I smite the demon. I the demon. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought you that think. would surely be sort of, well, well whatever. Anyway. Anyway. On. Anyway, so um, the other thing they're saying is the goal is to ensure that players don't have to do 50 years of research <laughs> in order to play. Because <laughs> there's a lot, a of, lot of material. There is a lot of material yeah. over there. Especially if you count novels. Much- I mean, hundreds of novels. I'm not sure how much of a defense that is because when I ran a Pathfinder campaign, I was like, let me just do a little research. And the wiki for like all of the 150 Pathfinder Adventure, you know, Adventure Path modules, I was like, oh, wow, this is this setting. And I was like, just go into a big rabbit hole, like being like, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, a bit TV trope it sounds like. Yeah. As I think I said last week, I've never read more than a page before starting a game. So if I have to read more than a page, it's not happening. So forget it. <laughs> I know it's something about like... Tell me about it during the game. Yeah, Show know. it to me. Don't don't give me a book to read. Oh, what, what, is, what, what my friends were saying, he could possibly run a game of Lance until he'd read the book from cover to cover. I was like, Justin, when I started running a fifth edition, I was like, I don't know, it's basically Dungeons and Dragons, I'll wing it. And like that led to a <laughs> two-year campaign off the back of it. 
I mean, you, don't, you don't have to know the entire thing. You just have to be slightly more okay with what's going on than the players are. As long as you know more than the players, as long as you're one step ahead of them, you're fine. And, and let's face it, like with, with me and my terrible, terrible memory, this is not a hard thing to achieve. <laughs> in Zoom time, yeah, we have right. friends who like they, they take notes in our Zoom games, so that way we have a oh. Google document afterward we can all refer to. Like, who was that? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. nice. Well, the advantages of using uh, technology. You can keep your notes up yes. to date and shareable. In the magical world of the 21st century, we are now able to remember what happened in our game sessions with the power of text. Yeah, right. <laughs> As opposed to like looking at the back of your character sheet where there is like, oh, a uh, goblin? <laughs> yeah, where did, I, where did I get this magic item from? Do I need to give that to someone? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that assumes you were paying attention in the first place. Oh, a, 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 a bold <laughs> assumption indeed. A bold assumption indeed. Which I got to admit, I find hard to do mm. when playing by Zoom because I've got too much distracting me on in front of me. Whereas in person, I find it much easier. That's but by Zoom, I do find myself phasing out from time to time, which is not. Mm. Anyway, we're pretty much at the end. There's, there's almost no news this week. <laughs> Would you like to play more? Pay more for your D and D books. No. Would like to? <laughs> <laughs> because it looks like you might have to. Wow. They're like $50 because, a pop. Yeah. Well, because of the um, shipping things going on right now, uh-huh. uh, according to Dicebreaker.com, mm-hmm. Magic the Gathering and D&D fans are going to be noticing an increase in prices sometime between now and the end of the year as Hasbro attempts to compensate for the still spiking rates affecting freight shipping across the globe. Yes, that does provoke to mind a small question. Remind me, which was yes. the most profitable division of Hasbro? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, sorry. Um, I, I, that's just popped in my head as a question. I can't think why that would be. Yeah. No context whatsoever. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure it's so that Wizards of the Coast can give $5,000 to every one of its <laughs> staff members, isn't it? I'm sure that's happening, isn't it? All the employees of the Wizards of the Coast game stores, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you heard it here first. That's happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they just say it for the designers, I'm sure the designers would be pretty happy. Yeah. Well, so um, yeah. there was the quarterly earnings call with investors, yeah. mm-hmm. and the CEO um, said that the company is, and this is a quote, implementing price increases during the third quarter that should be fully realized by the fourth quarter. Okay. So um, buy yourself. I- I, Before I, September. I work in a medical library where people will get books that cost like $300 and they don't have yeah. as many pretty pictures. So, um, yeah, I'm, mm, I'm not that surprised I, I, for like a hot. Yeah, but the reason these medical books cost about $300 is because they've got a print run of maybe 1000 2000 as opposed yeah. to the yeah. X, where X is arbitrarily large, of the Dungeons & Dragons yeah. player handbook. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the print cost, right, mm-hmm. Wizards of the Coast are probably paying like a dollar to print each book. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're doing a print run of for a big heavy medical textbook of say even a thousand sounds I don't know. Mm. Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean that, yeah. these are just arbitrary numbers, but like if Wizards of the Coast's print cost tripled, then mm. they'd be paying like what, three dollars for a book? And then their shipping costs have doubled, so it's like maybe I don't know. Yeah, shipping costs are quite a lot. They, they are I they mean, they're, print, they're not definitely. insignificant. But yeah, I, mean, I so. we we work in publishing, but like I always wish I could like see like what's everyone else's numbers look like, like you know how much does it cost you to make these things, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, very few people. I think uh, uh, Evil Hat Productions they share hmm. loads. If you follow um, Fred Hicks on Twitter, 
they shared, they were very, very transparent about all this stuff. And they frequently shared like a deep dive into the finances of this book or this Kickstarter or whatever. So they're, they're really good. I can't think of anyone else that really does that, but there must no. be someone out there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I, so. I should consider doing it at some point because I think it would be useful. I mean, the, to, the risk to... that you run is you discover like, oh crap, I'm paying everyone too much or oh crap, I'm not paying everyone enough. And then like, <laughs> and then people go to other places. <laughs> and... It seems unlikely that Ian Publishing would be paying everyone too little. Well, also, like, this gets confused by the whole Patreon element, because lots of individual designers, like, they get paid monthly for work, but, like, that's, you know, how do you put an hourly rate and all that stuff, yeah. Oh, well, we're looking at more publishing houses, although those are not necessarily very large, but, yeah. Yeah. I mean, these days, a lot of a lot of a lot of smaller publishers make a lot of their money through crowdfunding and various companies, mm, 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 like a, a large proportion of it. Yeah, like Monty Cook's just like, oh, how will go eight payroll? I guess I've just done a million dollar Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, uh, I, I'm Facebook friends with uh, Sean and Jermaine, and I was like, you know, I'm excited that we launched our Kickstarter, but like the the whole the devil made me do it Kickstarter is like, oh, that looks pretty cool. Like, you know, launched the same day as ours, so it's like, okay. <laughs> no, no. Like, I mean, do you know? Uh, do, you know do, you, do you know what that is, Peter? Uh, no, I don't. Good. Okay. Don't don't tell him. Ah, okay, Ryan, yeah. because that is in the Kickstarter game ah, shortly. Okay. Oh, fantastic. I know you know it, so I won't ask you. Okay. But I know. I know. I now know that Peter does. Okay. I, I will restrain my restrain myself from googling it to find yeah, out what you're talking okay. about. Yeah. And on. any listeners who don't know what it is, they're going to be finding out very soon as soon as we do the Kickstarter game, which I think is going to be really soon because I've run out of news. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> out of short. Unless either of you can think of any news I've forgotten. Oh no, what we haven't done is TSR Watch. The TSR News Update. Uh, no, must we? Oh, why? <laughs> Fine. The, <laughs> the week's TSR News, because there isn't much, but there is one thing that I just thought was mildly amusing. So, Wonderfiled, mm. as they are now known. Yeah. Yes. Have set their Twitter account so that it's restricted viewing. They have to specifically give you permission to be able to view their Twitter account. This is the commercial, the company Twitter account, yes. the, the Twitter account that presumably you want everybody to be able to read because that's no, no. the purpose. They, that's why it exists. They don't want all these that, social justice warriors and fancy dancy people with morals and flexibility. That and, setting is what you use when you want to like organize a conspiracy to overthrow the other TSRs. You don't want to even find out. <laughs> That's probably what's going on. Well, I think, I think the like... sole remaining TSR at this point, um, having uh, killed themselves off, then brought themselves back. Mm. Are they called TSR again? No, wait, it's Wonderfiled. There's, there's, there's Wonderfiled yes. and there's TSR Hobbies. Uh, yes, a Wonderfiled is where one of the chaps took his intellectual property and the entirety of their existing catalogue of games that they might have had from TSR and went and started his own games company. That's one. I have only seen the news. I haven't had any personal interactions with these people. I don't have animus towards them. The news makes it seem kind of silly, but... Mm. Yeah. You're, you're not wrong there. It's yeah. pretty silly. Yeah. Right. Anyway, that is the news done then. We're finished. We have finished with the news. That is the shortest news segment ever. That's amazing. Pretty, pretty short. It's not quite yeah. as bad as Christmas. <laughs> it's time to play our favourite game. It's time to play the game. Our favourite game in all the world. Guess the Kickstarter from just the name. 
All right, so shall we play our favourite game in all the world, the game where I read out the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is from just the name. Yeah, and thus we've had to rule three cap mm. as well. So, you're, yeah. you're, so you're Peter, right. would you like to go first so Ryan can see how it works? Unless Ryan wants to go first. I have, have no idea how you could possibly make a game out of Kickstarters, Russ. So well, please, you're about so to you find make, out. You make games with Kickstarters. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Making a game out then doesn't seem like that big of a leak to me. But go, we'll, we'll show you how this game is not played. All right, Peter, ready? Yeah, hit me. So this is this is one that we know that Ryan knows, but we know that you do not. Okay. What is yeah. The Devil Made Us Do It? Um, the Devil Made Us Do It is, um, I think it's an RPG. Um, I would like to think it's got a... 1500s witch hunting flair to it um and in a similar fashion to the various like you know scourges of protestant and catholic europe with uh which has been but all people being accused of being witches and so forth and that kids you're you're getting to do like a little one-off where it's people saying oh it's the devil made us do it but they decided to give it a comedy twist and uh, people are coming up with the most ridiculous crimes to accuse them of, and someone's coming back with, well, the devil made us do it, and this is how it happened. Mm. So a bit like Fiasco, oh. but stupider. Well, that's pretty close, Peter. Is it? In an alternate universe. Okay. Yeah. Maybe a little. What, 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 what? Tell, tell me what much better product that this is, because that was terrible. So this is, from, this is from Monty Cook Games, yes. which is their latest big Kickstarter. Yes, yes. And this is a time-travelling heist game. Okay. Yeah, so you're from the future, and um, you can reshape reality um, using an ability to tell lies, and those lies become true. And while you're doing this, you do heists. I, I mean, that does sound like a really good game. I'm not entirely sure I understand how it's the devil made us do it game. Who am I to tell Monty Cook how to name that? I think you might be like doing it for the devil, like the devil wants stuff or something. I don't know. Like the devil Um, wants like The the subtitle is Save Existence as We Know It by Bending Reality to Carry Out the Perfect Heist in this unique zero prep RPG. Again, solid, interesting game and so forth. I don't see the connection to the title, but yeah, that, that, that's entirely on me, I'm sure. Mm. Well, I think the uh, actual game, the Kickstarter is mm. called The Devil Made Us Do It. I think the actual game is called Stealing Stories for the Devil. And, uh, um, sure, why not? The, yeah, the, the, <laughs> well, the aesthetic uh, of thing is, is phenomenal. Apparently, mm. that's an in game, the in game name for when you had a lie and make it become true. Yes. In in game, in universe, yeah. you the, the phrase they used is they're stealing stories for the devil. I think that's where that comes from. Okay. It's it's got some you know, personal like a very precise aesthetic. You know, it's probably what what I would want to do is like read some short fiction in the setting, like see how mm. that feet kind of get the vibe. Like the aesthetic from the Kickstarter has like a you know a modern like uh, sort of minimal color options like with white and red and black a lot. Um, but it's, yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of comic booky looking, isn't it? Yeah. Especially the art. It's, it's it, all very comic book. A little thin city color scheme, but like cleaner, le- less uh, less kind of like, I don't know, chunky, uh, less frank. Yeah, frank that's the cover. If you look at the interior, right, it's more standard yeah. comic book stuff. Yeah. So, Just like ah, general, okay. general covered. 
Important questions. One, has it funded? Yes. yes. Monty Cook Games. <laughs> no, no, Peter, no. That's what he's best. So I can't go giving, giving MCT like special It funded in the first microsecond, of course. <laughs> it would click, click. Oh, well, that's like that. There we go. Um, it's currently got 2,000 backers. Nice, nice. Well, technically, it's got 1,999 backers. 2,000 exactly. once you finish filling in your form, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it had a, a goal of uh, $39,972, which is a weird, uh, that is a strange number. weird, weird amount. Yeah. Is that some kind of symbolic number in some way? I, I mean... I mean, they, they might have just figured out, like, that's the budget they spent, and they're like, we want to that, make it. Oh. They are a okay. US store, aren't they? But, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, they've done they've done one hundred eighty-two thousand dollars so far, and they've still got two weeks to go. So okay. they're doing really, really well. Yeah. Okay. And always, so the Monty Cook Games Kickstarters are like beautifully aesthetic items. They they have cool packaging. Um, oh yeah yeah, 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 definitely high production oh, packaging. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've said a million times, they've totally mastered this Kickstarter thing as well. They do two a year. They always do really well. Mm-hmm. They're always really high production values. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish I just wish I was as good as them. Oh, <laughs> uh, did, didn't you have like a, a list of like Kickstarters by company per year or something? And like, yes, and? yeah, yeah. So, the, yeah, I've got a list of uh, tabletop RPG companies who have made more than a million dollars on Kickstarter in total, not like with one single Kickstarter. And I'm on that list, I just like to mention. Yeah, which is nice. Unfortunately, those million dollars didn't all go in my pocket. It should have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> then I'd be a millionaire, and it'd be amazing. But I'm not. But um, yeah, but I am on that list. I'm like number nineteen or number twenty on the list, which I think is quite nice. Uh, well, we'll Monty Cook Games is like number two or number three. It's like way at the top. Yeah. But there we Having go. Made like five or six million. Or so yeah, they're like yeah. But they, do they I have mean, their when, own when they, when podcast? They... That's the question you have to ask. <laughs> yeah. When they launch a podcast, you, when they launch a podcast, when they launch a Kickstarter, you know exactly what's going to happen. Yes. You know it's going to find it really quickly. You know it's going to do about a quarter of a million to half a million. You know, you just, you know, they've got it down to a, like, a Russ, society. Have you considered doing this the style of the like really fancy presentation, finding someone to like make, I don't know, like an ornate box or something? Because I remember once upon a time you said you might want to do like a box set, but they're so expensive. I do, I do want to do box sets, and I think maybe depending on how well Kickstarters later this year do, yes. I might be able to think about doing stuff like that. I, I, I'm thinking there could be a place for a very nice tri- trio or a duo of books in its own slipcase. I can see that being. Uh, yeah, I'd like, I'd like to do a level up box starter set. Yes, but we'll wait till next year and see where we are. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, Peter, um, yes. I don't think I can give you any points for that, I'm afraid. In an alternate universe, you got a million points yes. for getting it exactly he right. He did mention so Fiasco-esque, and, and like there was a zero prep game, and so Fiasco... Did you say Fiasco-esque? I, 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 I said it was like a, a, a slightly stupider version of Fiasco. Oh, okay. No. All right. I'd, I'd say it's not slightly stupider, but it's definitely... <laughs> no. <laughs> it's it's definitely yeah i definitely can see the influence of fiasco all right i'll give you i'll give you five points out of 42 yeah, very generous of good right on okay then okay then so ryan are you ready sure you can do this Woo. i believe okay. <laughs> i'm just looking for which Bring one to choose morrissey okay oh what is zeitgeist death of the no Wait. not that one <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. How about what is 
Fedora Noir. Fedora Noir? Okay. Um, yeah. Fedora as in the hat. Noir as in the French word for black. Yeah. Um, and that, are we saying these are all games or all role-playing games, or could this be anything? They're yes. all RPG-related in some way. Yes. Related. Okay. So uh, it is a hat. So it might, it it might literally a be a, ba- a black hat. It might literally be a black fedora, but it is RPG-related in some way, so it's not that. It's a hat Kickstarter for people who want to have special gaming hats. Um, it's trying to like establish <laughs> a new style for uh, for indoor hat-wearing gaming. Uh, no. <laughs> um, from the name, I'm assuming it's like... It's Kickstarter. It's- <laughs> we should have uh, people smoking uh, cigarettes in those long cigarette holders. Um, oh. A very, very like you know, Parisian old old style. Um, mm. And uh, it's just a game about like emotions and feelings and like crime um, in a French bakery uh, with lots of smoking and high fashion. I mean, I'm, your guess, is it? I'm, I'm quite impressed the way you managed to get through that. Brave. That whole <laughs> sentence about using what. Without using the words film noir at any point, that was. <laughs> I mean, I would have been able to refrain myself, so that was pretty cool. Right, so as as I am sure you do, you do realise it is a sort of hard boiled detective kind of yeah. RPG. That's uh, all film noir esque, you might say. Yeah, they actually say introducing Fedora Noir, a game yeah. about a detective and their hat, which I <laughs> like. <laughs> okay. Please tell me that like a stretch goal or like a, an added on bonus, you can get a hat. Let me look at it. Ooh, that might I'm, be for the legendary tier of uh, backers. Nah. Many, well, many years ago. Dollars. When, when it's, we... not, it's not looking. No, it, it does not. It does oh. not. Sadly. When we did uh, Admiral well, of the Seas, have... even though I, like, I, you know, in hindsight I was like, eh, it's only an okay book, we did give hats out to the people who pledged the top tier. Um, I got like a, an Admiral's. It was wow, a dumb thing. It, it was like. If you pledge an extra twenty bucks, we'll get you a hat. And I like found yeah a bunch of little like skipper caps for five bucks. And if you pledge like an extra, how many hats did we give out? Four. Um, four. And, then, like, four. and then one guy who pledged at like the five hundred dollar level. Like I ran a game for him at Gen Con, and I brought him like a like a pirate tricorn with a feather in it and a proper tricorn. Yeah, nice. That's yeah okay. <laughs> this one Hats. does not have a hat. I'm sorry. Ah. I'm sorry. Ah. This is hat free. So, so this is a, an RPG. It's about a hard-boiled detective with a hat. Uh, the game is printed on tarot cards or tarot-sized cards. Ooh. Comes in a box. Yeah. Um, there's no rule book. Everything is on cards. Okay. Okay. Um, there's 16 portrait cards. Uh, nine pre-made settings full of locations and people to help you start quickly. It sounds Just like, kind of cool. Sounds like a really blurring the boundary between a role-playing game and a tabletop game. Mm. Uh, or a well, they funded. Mm. They've got eleven days to go. They have funded. Yeah. I can't see. I want to give Ryan points, but I can't, even though I know he deliberately got it wrong. It was kind of obvious <laughs> what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't. I can't, in good conscience, give you any points, Ryan. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I feel bad. No big Okay. <laughs> it's it, it, no one smoking on the cover, at least. Ah, oh, okay. okay. Uh, no one is smoking on the cover, oh, no. I tried. <laughs> okay. Okay, Peter, are you ready for this one? No. No, yes, I am. Ha-ha. Okay. I told you. What is Blood Shadows Chronicles of Guff? G-U-F. G-U-F. Okay. Well, I was wondering if it had been G-U-F-F, I would have assumed it to be a British Kickstarter 
which was uh, competing for the edgiest role-playing game product to have ever edged its way into the edge championships of the 1996 edge. It, it might be that, and it, and it might be a typo. I don't know. <laughs> I'm assuming not. Look, look, as we all know, professionals do not make mistakes on the titles of their major products. Um, don't mind me. Carry on. Blood Shadows. Okay, so what's it? Blood Shadows. Was it Legend? Blood Shadows. Legend. Blood Shadows is one word. Yes. Blood Shadows Chronicles of Guff. Yeah. Okay then. Right. So, um, Blood Shadows. I am forced to assume is the name of the role-playing game line. Uh, Chronicles of Guth is the uh, setting, the adventure pathway, uh, and setting book within that. Um, I've not heard of Blood Shadows, but that's what the that's what the word ordering and so forth tells me. Um, I think it is going to be oh, cracky, um, like. Everything about this is saying vampire, but um, I'm going to say no to vampire. I'm going to say it's some sort of different, powerful magic involving sparkly vampires. Wait, yeah, no, no. Guff is a good name for a vampire, I think. It's not very, uh, you're not, it's not very scary. Is it? you're, you're not allowed to name things anymore, Ryan. I'm revoking those privileges. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just, that's just how it is, man. Okay. Chronicles of Guff. So I guess Guff is either a place or a person i'm gonna say person i guess there's a person called guff and like they live in the realm of blood shadows that is created uh i think it's going to be ooh, like vaguely fantastical um not set in the real world um a bit magic kicking around and there's definitely sort of a noir feel but i'm hoping for some tongue-in-cheek stuff as well hmm. okay so I'll tell you in advance, uh, the word guff is apparently, according to this Kickstarter page, a Hebrew word meaning body. So this is, you said the word noir there, and you are correct. This is another hard-boiled detective type thing, but this is crossed with sort of fantasy horror Mm. at the same time. Okay. So this is a game that already exists. Blood Shadows already exists. It's a classic RPG, and it's been converted to the Savage Worlds Adventure edition. I, I, I did okay. say it already existed. The Blood of Shadows was the line. So, yeah. Mm, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know you forget these things because, like, you know, after the first five words, but still. No. <laughs> so, it's set in the world of Marl okay. against a backdrop of war between the forces of order and chaos. Interesting. Combines elements of fantasy and horror viewed through the lens of noir. Okay. And where does, the body, where does the body come in? I don't know. I mean, it's... There's too many words on this Kickstarter page. I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> I am sure somewhere it uh, does. Okay. Anyway, so um, what did you say then? I forgot what you said. That's a bit of a disadvantage when you're supposed to be paying attention. I know, yeah. I know. Uh, <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give you three points. Well done. Yeah, fair enough. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so finally... Finally, yeah. one, four, Ryan, last one. Everything to play for. Yeah, you can do everything this. to play for. So, so what is the score? Eight points to zero, I think, at the moment. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah sure. Go. Okay. This is called The Stargazer's Guide to Auroria. Auroria. A-R-O-R-I-A. Okay, Stargazer's Guide to Auroria. Auroria sounds like some Robert Howard-style, like, Hyperborea... Um, 
like, you know, savage primordial earth, a stone or bronze age thing, uh, Aurora. Um, but like Stargate is a guy. Okay. So it's, uh, I don't want to like jump to John Carter. Cause I was like thinking, you know, man with no shirts on fighting things in space. Um, so that, that, that's where my, my thoughts are going to. Um, but also I could go completely different direction to be like, Oh, it's, it's like try and be Aurora esque. And it's more of like a, a mystical, um, tarot fortune telling theme thing i um hold on a second let me just think let me just think about what it was possibly no yeah no uh yeah it is not a sci-fi game uh it is a fan game and uh it involves uh, something about prophecy so, sort of. So, if you if you consider prophecy to include astrology, yes, which yes. Yeah. kind of would, be fair. Okay. yeah, yes. it is fortune telling. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, this is a campaign setting for D anD D fifth edition, oh. which brings yeah. you a character creation system based on the zodiac. Okay. Which which zodiac? Well, the the the, oh, zodiac. the Greek zodiac. Right. Okay. Yes. Um, so, uh, well, apparently, no, there's, there's, it's actually a, a fantasy zodiac here, I think. Flirtide, Frostwane, Lamentium. So it looks like it's a, it's a fictional zodiac, but it's basically based on, based on stars and constellations and stuff. And the character creation system is based on that in some way. Right. Okay. Cool. So I got it perfectly. <laughs> they wasn't telling. <laughs> I mean, yeah. is there a set um, or is it just like, you know, yeah, so I'm looking, the... I, there isn't a, the actual Kickstarter page is just, there's not an awful lot of information. There's a lot of graphics on the Kickstarter page, but not an awful lot of information about the setting itself. Oh, cool. it says that it has uh, 13, uh, 12 subclasses, three races, 23 locations, NPCs, mm. 250 pages. It doesn't really tell you a lot about the setting. There's a, downloadable um a quick start sample thing you can download mm-hmm. which i haven't done yeah I've, so i should have gotten this because i've seen this advertised on facebook and i, I just didn't clock yeah, the title yeah uh, so this you know, one you can also get stickers and pins and um t-shirts and so- socks 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 socks, socks. socks. <laughs> No hats at all. Huh? No, no, no hats, but it does have socks. I, I'm, I'm, I gotta say, this might be a first for Morris's official tabletop RPG talk to actually have socks in a Kickstarter. Ryan, did you guess socks? <laughs> um, I, I don't recall you mentioning <laughs> socks. I said shirtless, um, and that applies why, wearing why socks. Didn't you mention, why would you not mention socks? It's so obvious. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, clearly they're shirtless. They've got like some nice cords on, some slippers, yeah. sandals. <laughs> as long as they're not just wearing socks, I guess. That's I mean, if you go to wear sandals and, uh, it, I mean, sandals and socks. Conan the Barbarian never never wore socks. Yeah, I've never I've never seen an RPG Kickstarter which contained socks. So, oh yes, I think it's a first. It's, it's a first. Now. Anyway, so um, Ryan, I don't I don't think. Um, <laughs> Actually, no. I'll give you five points. I'll give yeah. you five points. You did say you okay. did say prophecy, didn't you? Yeah. I mean, you okay. got that from the word stargazer, I guess. But um, yeah, 
Yeah. So I'll give you five points, which leads the score, I think, at, what's the score? Seven? Eight. Eight. He had eight. Eight points to five, which means, I'm afraid, that Peter is this week's winner of our favourite game in all the world and gets to take home the metaphorical trophy, a smug sense of self-satisfaction. Oh, goodness. That's two in a row. Two in a row, yeah. Oh, goodness. Oh, I'll do some next week. <laughs> Two-time gold yeah. winner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Given that he's now played this over 150 you. times, you'd think he'd be really good at it. Yes. Um, <laughs> or yeah, you, you think that think publishers might get better at naming their games. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Uh, greetings, O purveyor of magical artifacts. I'm here to upgrade my bag of holding. An excellent choice, sir. Bag of Holding 12X is the latest iteration of the world's favourite enchanted cloth container. Shall I uh, bag one up for you, sir? <laughs> Hold up. Not so fast. I want to hear about all the exciting new upgrades first. Well, it's new, sir. By definition, it's the best. It's the world's most powerful, portable, extra-dimensional space. Yes, yes, yes. But what, what is better about it? What does it do that the old one doesn't do? Do, sir? Yeah, I mean, does it also transmute letter gold? The, does it keep my sandwiches fresh? Can it be used as an overnight sleeping bag? Oh, well, sir, it's 2% bigger than the bag of holding 11, sir. 2%? Yes, and if you compare that to the 1% increase from bag of holding 10 to bag of holding 11, that's actually 100% extra. I'm not sure it really works like that. Oh, I assure you, sir, that individuals and businesses all around the world speak often of how the bag of holding 12X changed their lives. Yes, yes, yes. But what, what's it do? But it holds stuff, sir. I know that. But any old extra-dimensional bag will hold stuff. What does it do that the old bag didn't? Ah, well, sir, I think you'll be excited about this new feature. Oh, yeah, onto the good stuff at last. Tell me, O oh, creator of items, Arcane, what is this fantastic new feature? You might want to sit down, sir. It's quite thrilling. Yes, yes, get on with it. Well, this bag... Yes? You'll be astonished to hear that this bag... Yes? This bag... Yes? It comes in purple. Ah. <laughs> Speechless, sir. Can't say as I blame you. Purple, you say? Oh, yes, sir. As you can see, we've come completely revolutionised the bagware industry. You expect me to upgrade my bag of holding to bag of holding 12X because it comes in purple? Oh, don't forget the extra 2% carrying capacity, sir. Oh, yes. How could I possibly have forgotten that? Honestly, sir, if you understood what was going on under the hood to achieve that, you'd be amazed. Oh, uh, would I now? Yes, sir. We've used the very latest technology and the finest threads in all the land weaved by the most skillful gnomes of the age in a radical new pattern, allowing us to generate the very maximum capacity imaginable. I mean, you could just make a bigger bag. Sorry, sir? If you made the bag bigger, it would hold more. Yeah, but, but the gnomes, sir. It's just common sense, really. I don't think you understand the level of skill and the degree of technological advancement required to make a bag iteration of this quality, sir. You do know that Raskitwell's stacking emporium down the road sells bags twice the size of the bag of holding 12X, right? Ah, uh, but the extra 2%, sir. Twice the size. And the purple. Oh, yes, the purple. Silly me. Got my priorities all Mexican. Silly, silly customer. You invented purple. Well done. And mine, sir. 
Lime. It also comes in lime. I'll take it. Hey, so Peter, I was uh, I was walking down the road the other day and uh, I saw this bunch of really cool, good-looking people. Cool, good lucky. That could only be our patrons. Yep, man, I have never seen such a well-informed debonair bunch in all my life. Yeah, right. You know, why is that? I don't know. You tell me. Well, if I was forced to speculate, I guess it's because they listen to our top secret, super exclusive bonus episode every week. Bonus episode? What? Yeah. Each week, our patrons get an extra half hour or even more of extra content that nobody else gets to hear. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Where can they find this? Oh, it's pretty simple. You just head over to patreon.com slash morris and pledge a monthly donation. Anything from a dollar to whatever you think we're worth. Huh, I did a, uh, a scientific calculation once just to see how much we're worth. Oh, yeah. How much? Uh, you probably don't want to know. Probably for the best. Anyway, if you, if you enjoy our podcast, please head on over to patreon.com slash morris and, you know, just pledge a little. That's patreon.com slash morris. And thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this without you. I reckon we could. Shh. So, Ryan. Ryan yes. Zeitgeist Knock <laughs> is your full legal name, I believe. Is it not? Uh, actually, yeah. My initial, <laughs> my middle initial is Z. I mean, that's so, what yeah. it says on the... Yeah. It's what we've got here on your uh, uh, Zoom name, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ryan, um, tell me, as though I don't know, pretend I don't know what Zeitgeist Death of the Author is. Tell me, right. tell me what it is. What is Zeitgeist Death of the Author? Uh, Before you, you start, are, could you tell us wait. what Zeitgeist is? Because I don't know a lot about it. I believe that'd be sort of implicit okay. in the whole thing. We could do that. Yeah. All right. So, context. Uh, Just saying. Yeah, uh, Zeitgeist is a fantasy setting that is in the uh, in, in an industrial revolution. Um, and so its technology level is equivalent to, you know, late 19th century. Uh, there is, uh, like, heavy elements of, like, international intrigue, conspiracies, spycraft, um, and uh, heavy elements of, I don't know, like, philosophy and politics involved for the, the controversy, like, the conflicts rather than just people fighting over treasure and such. Um, and the, the setting has its own sort of, you know, custom cosmology, uh, a key element from, like, mild spoilers for the adventure path um that there are different planets that influence fate in the setting and uh the adventure path involves a, a time when the planets end up changing and so uh, we had a bit of a, a time skip after the adventure path which was like mm -hmm. the gears of revolution and now uh this is like 20 years later uh the change from that is all kind of shaking out the world's been kind of heavily affected by that and uh, Death of the Author is a, a mansion murder mystery where the characters, uh, you are heading towards an island. Uh, you are looking for someone who has stolen some like military secrets. And when you arrive on the island, there is a whole cast of characters who are there at this sort of mansion resort. And you're not sure who is the thief, who's the buyer. Um, and then you discover like there is a prominent author there who has apparently involved a bunch of people who might want him killed. Um, and surprise, surprise, at some point, someone tries to kill somebody. And uh, 
I I think that I wrote it. To it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be D and D if that didn't happen. Yeah. So, so, to be fair, I don't think it's a mystery that there's a murder. <laughs> yes. Yeah. If the PCs are really on top of things, I guess they might prevent the murder uh, because you never want to like completely railroad people. But like having the murder makes things more fun. Um, and then you got to solve the murder and also figure out what else is going on at the, at the mansion. And it's it's set up to be like sort of a new introduction to the setting in sort of a, a microcosm. So like the characters who are at this man are like from different locations. They each provide you a little, little tease of what each of the different like main countries are and like the different sort of clash of conflicts between the different areas. Um, and so by the time you're done, you can you know, have a, a pretty basic sense of the place and but based on what you do, you can influence the fate of one of those countries. So if I haven't played Zeitgeist Gears of Revolution, Zeitgeist Death of the Author is still standalone. I can play it. It's a, it's a jumping on point, yeah. It's kind of designed oh, okay. as yes. a... Yeah. So, in, yeah. so it's a sequel that you can use to introduce the basics so you can then play through the Gears of Revolution path. Is that is that right? Uh, it's set uh, 20 years after the Gears of yes. Revolution. So you can't you can't play that and then use the same characters to go and play no, the no. benchmark. Right. right, you'd be 20th level by the end of the Gears of Revolution. Um, mm. And it would be maybe a smidge odd to play Death of the Author and then hop back to the Gears of Revolution, but that's not much different than, say... I don't know, playing a World War II game and then be like, oh, that whole Europe place is kind of interesting. Let's do another thing there. So it's like, well, I have this interesting World War One campaign. And then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, like, the Gears of Revolution adventure path was a big adventure path, 13 adventures, like over a thousand pages, takes you up to level 20. Nice. That has been around for like 10 years, I want to yeah, say, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's been updated to 5th edition over the last sort of two or three years right? Mm -hmm. on Insider Magazine. Yeah. Um, so this is the Death of the Author. That makes Death of the Author the first totally new Zeitgeist adventure for quite a while. I think. When's the yeah. last time you wrote a Zeitgeist adventure, Ryan? Um, I suppose being very technical. No, no, yeah. I, I guess like uh, we finished up the last one in 20... 15, mm. I think. Kayla in 2015. Um, and then they were just like fulfilling the Kickstarter hardcover stuff, and that kind of kept us going until 2016. Yeah. But you did, when did you, you did Bonds of Force, Force Base. That was after Kickstarter, wasn't it? Uh, that, that was written after the Kickstarter, but it ended up in one of the books. And right. so all, all of the old stuff was finished by end of 2015. And then we did a conversion right. of Bonds of Forced Faith for fifth edition and that i think yeah. was the first zeitgeist converted thing for fifth edition because it that was a uh that was a standalone adventure that involved witches on a mountain and you had to go climb a mountain and kill a bunch of witches and i got to have lots of fun yeah. with uh curses because by the end of the adventure ideally each pc has at least one or two curses on them mm. yeah because i remember you running that in the lobby of a hotel in gen con right? <laughs> oh yeah must be six or so yeah six years ago or something like that so this is the first new Zeitgeist material in six years. Yeah. Upshot of this, yeah. which I think quite a lot of people are quite pleased about because people have been asking us to do new Zeitgeist stuff quite a while. Like on the message yeah. boards, they're always asking, when's the next Zeitgeist? What's happening? So Death of the Author um, is kind of an introduction to, get, I guess, kind of like a not a soft reboot of Zeitgeist. That's not quite how I'd, I'd say it, but it's, it's definitely a new jumping on point with a brand new story and almost yeah. a slightly new world. It's it? it's a Star Trek The Next Generation, right? You know? yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah. There we go. 
Like some yeah. old characters can um, show up. The same stuff's going on, but it's uh, yeah, hopefully more polished. Yeah. Too. yeah. yeah. So going back to the um, original adventure path, thirteen-part adventure path, mm-hmm. which I think might be one of the biggest adventure paths ever. I don't know if it is the biggest, but yeah. it's it's definitely it's definitely up there. I mean, going one to twenty is a pretty exclusive club. Yeah, and they're not small as well. I mean, a lot, a lot of the adventures are over 100 pages. Oh, wow. And we also did it for 4th edition and Pathfinder, and so it actually went to 30th yes. level with 4th edition. How many times can you even eat the same adventure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's part of why I, I was really keen to move on and start doing new stuff mm-hmm. instead of releasing the same adventure path for, like, yet another time. It was, <laughs> it was and It's coming out on Roll20 at the moment as well. Mm. So that's kind of another re-release again of the same adventure path so it's kind of nice to be doing something new with it and expanding the actual mm. you know expanding the setting although obviously having it come to roll points is a great way to meet fresh audience who yeah might otherwise do it but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the guy so, who does the uh, the War of the Burning Sky and the Zeitgeist Roll Twenties helped me set up whenever I was playtesting the adventure because I had to run it over Roll Twenty during a pandemic so thanks <laughs> yeah. So that's that's not all you're doing because you have finished working on now the Zeitgeist setting hardcover setting. Yes, Adventures in Zeitgeist, uh, which is Adventures in Zeitgeist. Yeah, uh, I believe that's the name we're going with. Um, The plan is to have that after level up, um, right? At some point. Yes. At the moment, yeah. 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 I Um, I originally kind of wanted it to be in the level up Kickstarter, but I don't think we'll be ready in time. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, so after uh, the like death of the author is a like fifty thousand word uh, adventure with like a fair bit of you know it. There's a lot of information for the game master uh, to help you if you want to run things in depth. The players don't need it. I believe Russ, you have to read one page to uh, say, do, do you want to come into this adventure as <laughs> spies or as like yeah, law enforcement? yeah. You got the yeah, you got the the one page player handout, and that's ah. exactly the right amount. Yes, yes. Anything else starting to overload players, but you can invest. And then there's the like five more pages of stuff that you might want, like stuff like here is the rules for guns because D and D didn't have like the you know, the gun rules that we wanted to have and uh, such like that. So like. Yes. But uh, then the actual uh, Adventures in Zeitgeist setting book is, I think it's like two hundred and twenty thousand words. It's it's a it's it's a pretty large t- tome, um, and it mm-hmm. is setting information. Uh, there are new character archetypes or uh, class archetypes, subclasses, um, depending on what game you're playing. Uh, for all the different classes, we have, and it's it's designed to sort of like give you game mechanics to kind of link you into the world to introduce. First of all, like the tech level, it's it's not exactly your traditional concept of like Gonzo steampunk where everyone's got cogs on their glasses and stuff like that. Like it's it's a it's a bit more like a bit more realistic level of uh, technology, but then also with fantasy. I don't mm. like. I just feel like usually when I see steampunk, it's just like gratuitous top, top hats with goggles on top of them, and uh, yeah. yeah. Yes, uh, I uh, in the equipment section, I made sure to write that like there's the goggles and then the gentleman's outfit and the lady's outfit like do not come with goggles because that would be inappropriate okay. yes oh and we were having a discussion last week about when you have a hat with the brim and you've got goggles on top how exactly do you pull the goggles down over your eyes 
I mean, they've they got, they got significant brims. I mean, you got, you're really challenging that elastic. <laughs> so the only I way we you... figured out it could possibly work is if the hat itself had holes cut in it, and yes. what you do is you pull the entire yes. hat down over your <laughs> It's the only way it could work. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else is just silly. It has the room forward the whole head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and that only works if you haven't got really big ears. If you've got big ears, if you're an elf, for oh. example, that's not going to work. No, no. You're out of luck. No. Unless you have ear slots up the side of your top hat. So I'm listening. <laughs> I think uh, with all these holes in it, it's not going to look much like a hat after all that. But Russ, we could put that hat in the Kickstarter, a top hat with goggles and eye holes. What, an actual one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ah, this is right. this is for the thousand dollar packet here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> I try to think how you get like you don't like make these yourself. You don't yes. buy your own top hats and just cut the holes and <laughs> just sell people yes. top hats that you mangled. Cut that bit for the Kickstarter podcast. <laughs> you can't talk about how you do to mangle a top hat. It's a cleverly crafted and finely wrought hat. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go, handcrafted go small like, batch. Yeah. Going back to the Zeitgeist settings as a whole, I mean, the word steampunk is often used when describing Zeitgeist, and as you've pointed out, it's not really a steampunk setting. It's mm. definitely a more grounded setting than that. Mm. I mean, and how would you, you describe steampunk? Like, the techno- you can, yeah. yeah. But how would you describe like the technology level Do you have in, in Zeitgeist? Uh, Especially as it concerns magic as well, because obviously there's right. magic too. In the introduction to like the equipment chapter of the setting book, mm. I point out that you like there are places in the world where people can go their whole lives without seeing a railroad or a gun they might just be living on a farm they might be dealing with like pixies and bandits and stuff like that and then there are cities where there are factories churning out like you know automatons that can be sent off to war um and then there are like private Mm -hmm. workshops that some you know elite magical arcanist can be building arcano technological airships or all manner of strange you know devices that you know, wed magic and technology. Um, but for the for the average person living in an urban place, there'll be like streetcars, some subway rail uh, trains between places, um, and you know steamships. Uh, you might every once in a while, if you're in a wealthy place, see like an airship. Uh, but there's not like widespread airship travel. Um, guns exist. Um, yeah. And uh, people uh, can get like mass-produced clothing, and so characters start with an extra thirty gold pieces a piece because of all the wealth produced by the industrial revolution. <laughs> uh, nice, nice. Um, so, like, obviously, we've seen quite recently the second edition of Victoriana come out. Is it second edition? No, it's mm-hmm. seventh edition. Seventh edition for fifth edition. I remember now. Fourth edition. Fourth edition for fifth edition. Fourth edition. The fourth edition yeah. for fifth edition for Victoriana, <laughs> yeah. which is essentially a steampunk shadow run. So set in London, yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Obviously, yours isn't set in Seattle and is just completely different from Shadow Run in many respects. But uh, what what sort of parallels and sort of things are you would you draw? Is there a massive mega corporations, or is it more still focusing on dynasties and nations? There were the elements that were in the adventure path that were set up for the course of an adventure. And then for a setting book, we you know, took those and tried to make sure that like every location of the world had about as much depth as the places that the PCs were hitting for like you know, their main adventures. Like in the main city, you have uh, the city of Flint uh, in the country of Reeser is this like confluence of 
the Industrial Revolution has come there, but also it used to be a place that was like holy to the Druids, uh, the the witches who had cursed a mountain and like were you know, doing human sacrifices. They were there. Um, and there's just a lot of like, you know, international confluence of characters, a lot of political intrigue, um, people who are rabble rousing. You have uh, you have workers in the factories who want to rebel and revolt. And so there is like there's not like mega corporation style, uh, but you know, no. there's the sort of real world hostility to the abuses of of you know the industrial revolution where like some people did great and some people got literally locked into a factory and would not be allowed to leave and go home unless someone came in to replace them Mm -hmm. and then and then that goes down and everyone dies um but i mean that's 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 like setting backdrop obviously when you're playing an adventure you you probably aren't focusing on that as like playing the the working in the factory you're playing the the constables of the royal homeland constabulary or your agents of some conspiracy trying to like reshape the world or maybe you're just like trying to travel around and explore and see how things are going or you're like revolutionaries trying to you know kickstart a kickstart a book no you're revolutionaries trying to you know change how things are run in your country um so it it is a fantasy setting though uh and so like the like the main country is a I, i i originally pitched it as sort of like classical like arthurian britain crossed with brazil with and then the industrial revolution comes in uh, so that the main city, like if you look at a map, it's just Rio de Janeiro turned 180 degrees. Um, okay. But uh, Rio has some cool landmarks because you have like mountain forests and urban Ooh. sprawl and such. Uh, but then there's yeah. a, a country called Burr, which was once ruled by dragons, um, and then the dragons were slain. Um, and all of the like servants of the dragons that were mostly like the bestial races of gnolls and orcs and goblins and such, they uh, like decided not to just be shitty barbarians like or you know be, be perceived as savage they're like you know we're gonna like civilize our country and bring in technology and like run things properly and show the rest of the world that like we are of equal status and so it's got kind of a a bit of like a mexican uh aesthetic to it okay. so there's like mostly just because like linguistically i wanted to like give each of the country sort of a bit of a linguistic marker so like the names there are are spanish Right, as opposed to a guess more Portuguese English, Anglo Portuguese. There's a bit of there's a bit of a well, I mean it's not actually like exactly Spanish, but like you know, no. uh, for instance the, uh, the 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 Paladin subclass or uh, the Herald subclass is the uh, Executore uh, because there's a group called the Executora Libertad, which are like holy warriors who, but like they, they go around and like ensure that the, no one is tyrannizing any of the the population the way the dragons used to be tyrants. And uh, okay. so, like, they, they they can go around with, like, a, you know, a bandolier of, you know, bullet shells and a musket and a big whooping stick mm-hmm. to whoop someone who's uh, who's breaking the law. And I don't know, it's like a... Okay. Uh, it's a big setting, and so it's kind of hard to condense mm-hmm. down everything, because, like, in one part oh, of the world, you can do, you can do, like, you know, Old West-style cowboy stuff. In another part of the setting, you can do um, Vatican-style religious conspiracies. Um Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you there's something that you mentioned quite a few times, and I I, I wonder if maybe um, people maybe wonder what that what what it means exactly. When you say that there's quite a lot of politics and intrigue in the adventure path, mm-hmm. um, whenever I've mentioned it to people, people ask me, "What well, what does that mean mm-hmm. in practice in terms mm-hmm. of a D and D game?" So what 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 is meant by politics and intrigue when it comes to when it comes to a, a fantasy adventure? I was just wondering. 
how how much danger would I be in as a GM of having to hold a conversation with myself as two different NPCs talking to each other? Because you you know what that's like. That it's always like you try yeah. to avoid it, but inevitably, if you have sufficient NPCs, it starts happening, and you're trying to remember your different voices as you have the NPCs talking. Okay, so Ryan, you've got two questions there. Which yeah. one do you want to start with? Yes. Uh, I'll start I asked you one, and Peter interrupted and asked you another one. Now, well, you have, now, now you have to answer them both. Well, they're all related, because as I understood your question, Russ, it's like, how does one execute politics and intrigue in a D&D game? And my specific question is concerned with the, and how much danger am I in of trying to hold a conversation with myself? So, yeah. Anyway. Right, sorry. <laughs> all right, so uh, I'll take the question from the reporter from The Sun first, and then I'll do the follow-up question. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> So, uh, well, in in Death of the Author, there uh, are a few scenes because there are like eleven different NPCs where uh, we have little tableaus. It's like here is a sort of like a, a back and forth of like two characters talking, but it's kind of like a little pre-scripted thing. So when you come into the scene, this character says this, this character says that, like, and that gives you a sense of who they are, what their conflict is. Um, for instance. Uh, on a politics example, like the nation of Reeser is, is like in the adventure path that we already did years ago, is kind of cast as the protagonists. And uh, then across the sea is Danor, and Danor is like run by tieflings. They don't have much magic. Uh, they're much more like, like high tech focused. And Reeser and Danor had been like running for control of an archipelago. Um, and so a lot of characters that you meet had like been in past wars, they had grievances, some people are trying to like negotiate peace, um, some people are trying to provoke more fighting. And so in Death of the Author, when you come across a character from Reeser and a character from Danor, they snipe at each other um, and like, you know, make some insults. And then that gives you a sense of like, okay, you know, each one of these characters, you know, you could potentially get on either of their sides by endorsing whatever their worldview is. Um, and uh, the the Rasuri guy is a uh, he's actually a sort of professional prophet. He goes around and he'll look at the stars and then give a prophecy and like entertain people. He's a bit of a carnival barker. Um, he's like, all right, I'm going to tell you now all the things that I saw up in the sky. I tell you, in three days there shall be a great disaster. And meanwhile, the woman from Danor, she's a tiefling, and uh, she is a she presents herself as a lady of high society, um, but she used to be uh, like a smuggler, and she would like smuggle illicit monster parts that would be used in research. Um, and on the island that you're at, there are some of those monsters, and so she's intrigued by that kind of stuff. Yeah, and so just uh, the the characters will have not simply like, I want to like do something good or do something bad. They exist in a world that has a lot of complex interactions, and while the main plot thrust of the adventure is, hey, there is a murder, deal with it, um, you can engage with the characters based on their motivations, uh, based on their their interpersonal conflicts. You can become allied with people. Now, with uh, with like the whole Gears of Revolution adventure path, because you are building characters and we're sort of planning a whole ongoing series, uh, the the player's guide for the Gears of Revolution has character themes, and it's like pick one of these. This gives you kind of like a hook into the setting. So maybe you are a sky seer you look at the stars and you can see visions and that kind of links you into the whole cosmic planetary element of the setting and also into like the the more druidic magical backgrounds which puts you sort of in hostility with the more technological side of things because the pollution is making it harder for you to see the stars 
or maybe you are a veteran of the uh, the archipelagos, um, and you would like you know, have a a suite of people who would support you from that, and like you have an easy end like politics. It's like everyone loves a war hero, but it makes it harder for you to like interact with uh, people who are on the other side of the war. Yeah, and so there's just a lot of different uh, like hooks for the, for a setting that I try to yeah. make fun. Not just like not homework to read a history book, but like how would this compel an interesting conflict? Mm. So going back to the Gears of Revolution Adventure Path is right. So it's thirteen. It's thirteen parts long. It's re, it's a big, big, big adventure path. Have you got any sort of like favorite parts of it? Sort of really sort of like I mean, obviously it is crammed full of stuff, and there's a lot of great parts. But what what would you say are the the bits of it that you really, really, really are fond of? Uh, on a small hill, there is a, a group of characters that show up in like the fourth adventure. You're on a you're on a train and you're trying to investigate who among the passengers are like is is a spy that you're trying to track down. But like because you're on a train, there's a whole bunch of other characters. And like one of the groups of characters is a vacationing orc railroad magnate um, and his family. He's brought along his wife and two kids. And so you're on a train ride, and there's this like very up upscale gentleman, kind of like Antonio Banderas uh, from Desperado, but like in his proper professional form. And uh, it's just a, a friendly guy. He can meet his kids, and then later on, like he gets involved in like revolutionary stuff. And I I, I like being able to seed characters like that. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, but like on the on a like larger scale, um, I, I think like where the adventure path kind of like hits its stride is the 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 first adventure is let's just kind of introduce you to the the setting and the second one is we're going to spend like three levels of, of gaming in one city there's been a, a strange mysterious murder and you've got investigated and uh it is like it is a it is a complex political uh backdrop to who might have murdered this person and why and I find that people who finish the adventure path or who finish the adventure, like then want to do the whole adventure path because like that shows that like, okay, like the, the setup and payoff for this is, is worth it. Um, Mm. And then just on, uh, on Zaniness stuff, there's a, there's a, as a joke, when I was writing the like player's guide to the setting early on, I was like, Oh, you know what? Uh, I need to give some myths to each of the countries. And I had been listening to a sort of, comedy uh metal band here in georgia uh, so like the, the cartoon metalocalypse had a band called death clock and they have a song about Vi- vikings um and i just like okay cool i'm gonna make a reference to that here it's in the thing and then 10 adventures later or something uh thurston thurston hillman was uh you know we were working on that adventure and we're like okay i guess we need to have like it's the end of the world happening the pieces are trying to avert the end of the world I suppose we'll have those guys come back from the dead, and so like there's a cameo from the cast of Death Clock. But this is maybe not playing to the strengths of the setting; it's just me being goofy. Well, that's not that's not the only cameos there are, really. If you if you read the entire adventure path, it is pretty much crammed full of like sneaky pop culture references. Whether it's just the appearance of a of, a, of an NPC, the illustration of an NPC, or just you know, it's just like loads of stuff. Like Clint Eastwood's in there somewhere, isn't he? I mean, um, What's yeah, his name? I think Moff Tarkin, what's his name? Um, yeah. Peter uh, Cushing is... Each of the adventures, uh, like, there'll be a, like, meanwhile in the news snippet that you can, like, hand out to the players. Be like, hey, this is what's kind of going on in the world that show up in the newspapers. And uh, each one has, like, a little, you know, like a, a headline. And 
in in one of the adventures, it was like uh, there were six little tiny new snippets, and one was about a doctor. One was about new dyes, new hues. Um, it, one was about bakers. Another one was about uh, renters, tenants, and one was about uh, blacksmiths. And then was about for you. So it was like Doctor Hugh Baker Tenant Smith uh, reunion, and it was just like I think it came out around the time of the 50th anniversary. Or so uh, yeah, that, that's a, that's <laughs> a very subtle thing. That, actually, yeah. yeah. Okay. Ah, that's so a Doctor this, Who joke. Yes, right. he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's putting puns into. His... <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. But I mean, like with, with, with the artwork, you've, a lot of the uh, NPCs are based on actual like actors, yeah. real world actors and things like that. So when you went to the artist, you said, I want this guy to look a little bit like Peter Cushing or I want this guy to look a bit like someone else. And you've done yeah. you've done an awful lot of that. Yeah. Uh, originally, Claudio Posis. And now, yeah, the, they like I was like, I would like this kind of this kind of character to give personality. And sometimes the artist will get very, very close. I'm like, oh, that is definitely William Shatner who is working as head of the labor <laughs> unions. And sometimes it's a little bit like, you know, less obvious, like uh, Audrey Hepburn shows up as a tiefling at one point. Um, I, think, the, I think William Riker's in there as, uh, as the ship captain. Uh, no, he looks like Riker. He was actually meant to be Che Guevara. Um, oh, right. He definitely looks like Riker. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like it's not like the, the characters are like supposed to be played by those actors it's just like you know it, it helps to make sure that when they you know when you look at it like they, they look like someone rather than just like a mm. an illustration of a of a person um the yeah. the silliest one to be sure is uh there is a like sort of popular rebellious musician in the city uh named rock rackus and he mm-hmm. goes around and like uh, just becomes popular for like trash talking the establishment. Um, and he also claims to have gone to the moon and cuckolded the king of the Fae because um, he's kind of an asshole um, and a braggart. Mm-hmm. But uh, he's Kanye West. He's Kanye West in like a steampunk astronaut suit. Um, and I, I guess Kanye isn't as big a thing in the UK, but uh, in the US, Kanye West is a uh, notorious. Yeah, you know, wonderful yeah, musician. We know who he is. Yeah. Okay, like I mean, his music's great. The guy, yeah, guy, guy has some uh, interpersonal issues. I hope he's okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Should we get back to the Kickstarter then? So, just yeah. the author. Yeah, there's only four days left to go on this thing, and by the time this mm. goes out, it'll only be three days. So it ends on Tuesday. Ooh. So you've got to get in on this pretty fast. Yeah. Um, it has funded well, so. It is definitely, yeah. definitely going to happen. It's 65 pages, soft cover, full color, pretty gorgeous. I've got to say, I love Eric's layout work. He's, uh, yeah. He always has this flourish to layout, which I really, really appreciate. And the look of Zeitgeist all the way through from Eric has always been, it's just had that little extra pop to it, which just kind of like the layout itself immerses you in the setting. Does, does that make sense? You kind of like... Uh, you know, like the board, just things like the borders and the, the frills on the edges and, oh, you know, yeah. the the way the, the little character cards, like, pop out of the page. Not literally pop out, obviously. It's not a, it looks like a pop-up book. But, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's all got to be made for us. Uh, yeah. The first yeah. RPG uh, pop-up. Uh, yes. Yeah, it looks quite nice. I mean, there's some, a lot of lovely little quiddles, I might say. Like, well, it's the borders. They've just got like, this fantastically detailed, almost embroidery. Yeah. I, 
Not quite. It's like Fil- a filigree effect, Fil- maybe. Filigree, yes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Not not wiggles, filigree. I said twiddles, but yes, uh, <laughs> filigree is a much better way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, and like uh, you've got the dramatis personae page, and it like there's almost sort of a tarot card effect almost to the. Um, yeah. It doesn't have the full border, but it's got the corners. If that makes sense. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So you, you can pick up the adventure. You can also pick up the entire Gears of the Revolution adventure path for just 30 quid, whatever that is in dollars, which is for like over a thousand pages of material. That's a hell of a deal. Yeah. But if you were to buy those separately, that would cost you over a hundred. Wow. I think. And if you want to buy the fourth edition hardcovers, those are available, but that's, that's, that's somewhere else. It's not Kickstarter. Yeah. Right. You can also pick up Bonds of Force Faith, which is a, uh, a, like a prequel set years and years before the Gears of Revolution Adventure Path. That's definitely intended to be like a sort of four-hour convention slot kind of game. Like, it throws you in really fast. Uh, there's poppy, you know, poppy fights, and then you have a fun little climax at the top of a moon, or top, top of a mountain during a blood moon eclipse. It's good times. Yeah. And then we've got Crypto Hereticarum is also available on there as well. What's, 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 what's a Crypto Hereticarum, and why might I want one? Uh, <laughs> it is the Vault of Heresies. <laughs> uh, yes. So, one of the one of the elements of the setting uh, until recently is that uh, evil spirits from other worlds, like demons, if you killed them, they couldn't get back to where they came from. They would just kind of like their essence would drift away. And so, uh, the clergy, the big like largest religion of, of the setting, w- would capture possessed things or evil things and lock them away in a vault. Um, and like any good giant organization, uh, they didn't always do the right thing. And so, at some point. The, the characters go there and discover that there are people who are trapped in this vault who were just, you know, not intended. Like, they weren't friendly to the clergy, uh, and so they got locked away, and it was unfair. But it's it's a uh, it's a terrible dungeon where all of the treasure is cursed. Even, like, there is a, like, magical watchdog that it will, you know, you can go to sleep, it'll bark if someone comes by, but, like, you'll wake up and you'll discover that somehow this magical watchdog statue has eaten your food. It has, like, broken into your, to your food and your food. And in a, if you're playing a level up game, that's even worse because oh, yeah. <laughs> level up tracks supply during adventuring. Yeah. And you do not want to take a long rest without having enough supply because you get fatigue oh, if you do that. Yes. And you don't want that fortune. Have... No, yeah. yeah. So if you, I mean, we will be transparent here. We, we haven't decided yet what the future of Zeitgeist is beyond this adventure. Mm-hmm. But we, I think both of us want to do more, more Zeitgeist stuff. Yes. Ooh. Um, it's just that level up's coming up, and that's basically the focus of yes. everything for me right now. So until that's passed, I can't. It's hard for it's hard for me to sort of like start any other projects. It's a bit like a singularity for Ian Publisher. Once you get yeah. through that, so if, it'll be a whole new world. But that, but that aside, yeah. and this is uh, this is um, I say that this is this is not a commitment in any way whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> or a promise. I'm just asking Ryan, what what in his mind would would you like to do with Zeitgeist going forward? Yeah. So we had talked about the fact that if you have an adventure path, the first adventure sells best, then like the last one doesn't sell mm-hmm. that well because people yes. don't finish. Especially it. when it's like a 13 part. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so as much as I adored our epic, uh going forward, uh so there are like six main countries in the setting, and mm-hmm. I had the idea of like doing one adventure in each country and there'd be like maybe like one NPC who will cross over from a previous adventure to the next one. So there is some connection. You could play them as like a series, uh, but 
like in this case, oh, there's this murder mystery solving the murder can like cause the outcome of that country to kind of go two different ways. Uh, I've actually mostly written this, the next adventure, Russ. I don't know if I told you about that, but I have a sort of. <laughs> um, oh no, I, that uh, was there was one with a flight of the airplane of some kind. So, yeah, yeah, uh, it's like Casablanca, uh, where it's like some fascists are coming into town, and you've got to like get the help of an inventor who's invented like airplanes to be able to like help fend them off. Um, oh yeah, yeah, you have mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are um, there any drakes on this plane? Is the question. Sorry, please go. Yeah. Joke, joke, call back joke to last week. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Okay, okay. So, um, no. so, so in a series, this this hypothetical series of adventures, are these designed to be standalones, or mm. are they designed for a yeah, single be, party to work their way through? They'd be designed so that, like, you could you could make new characters each time. You could just buy, like, just buy the one set in Danor and you know deal with the weird you know stuff going on there. And then if you like that one, you can buy the other ones and play them out of order if you want to. Um, or if mm. you're committed, you could you could buy the whole thing, and there will be like there'll be links to give you an excuse to like have the characters go to different places. Yeah. And then I have in mind like a final seventh adventure that if. Yeah, if you play the rest, like, or at least play at least one other one, this one will be like taking place after those, and then kind of have it's it's hypothetical now. It's uh, like based on what happened in previous adventures would change who's available uh, for some sort of like gathering of important figures around the world, and then yeah, yeah. gives you a chance to say like, ah, oh, mm-hmm. I've had an influence on the setting. This is what happened. Yeah, that's kind of how like War with the Burning Sky kind of in the, the, the big confrontation of spoilers i suppose confrontation at the end the people who are present at that confrontation depend a lot on what happened in the yeah. previous 12 or 11 event i can't remember how many it was the 12 whatever it was 12, adventures 12 beforehand yeah 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 so the previous 11 adventures the people that you have on your side all depend on which what animals you've made along the way yeah i hadn't invested enough time planning the ending that element of what I'm writing it, or else I probably would have like foregrounded a bit more and given you a bit more clarity of what your options were. One of the actual philosophies of Zeitgeist is there's a philosopher who, uh, Lindem Hyde, he uh, wrote like on the proper ending of things. It's a philosophical text on like the, the importance of making sure that you plan for good endings. Um, whether you're ending a business relationship, breaking up with someone, planning your death, or dealing with the end of the world, make sure that you are prepared for it, and then you know you'll have less stress. And uh, I try to make sure that I you know now plan my endings, especially for investigations and mysteries. <laughs> well, you say you say that, but I think War of the Winter Sky ended really, really strongly. It's a great, it's a great adventure path. Mm. I mean, that was oh, that was your first adventure path, so yeah. Did but you listen to those? I mean, I played through it. I played through it on fourth edition, like all the way through, and my players oh. loved it. You know. Okay, I didn't know that you'd actually played it. Yeah, yeah, it took me a year and a half, maybe, okay. maybe two years. I can't remember how long it took, but it was it was a long time ago, way, way, way. It's like ten years ago or something. But um, yeah, in fourth edition, we played all the way through it. They loved it, and I really, really enjoyed running it. Oh. So, did you uh, I mean, listen to the, po- the podcast that I was on last week with the Prismatic Tsunami? I have listened to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And about the guy's I, story I about how he tried to he tried to get to the end of the campaign and like it I, fell apart in the last session. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so oh, he gets no. all the way to the end of War of the Burning Sky more than once. I think didn't he say that, that happened to him more than once? Uh, so the the thing is, he'd run War of the Burning Sky. The party got to like we're about to go fight the main villain, and then like, oh man, God, I can't make next session. Can we like postpone? Sure. Oh, I can't make next session. Can we postpone? Sure. And then the group just couldn't finish. 
And then they're just like, okay, I guess that's fine. And then years later, they were playing through Zeitgeist, and they got to a point where, like, he slipped in, oh, here's a magical thing that kind of, like, lets you experience this other story and, like, have the characters from his Zeitgeist campaign then Uh take over... So he got to finish the characters, it. but then he announced that, and the group was really excited. And the next week, all the pandemic lockdown started, and they couldn't play. Oh no! 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 Uh, oh that's man! Tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, we we mentioned more of the Winter Sky bit. Can we quickly explain what that is, mm. because there are some people out there, I'm sure, mm. who have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. What What is more of the Winter Sky? It is a twelve part adventure path that we originally published for third. And then fourth, and then fifth edition. I don't know if there was ever actually officially yeah, yeah. a Pathfinder thing, but it's a uh, yeah, yeah, it's a fifth edition version. Yeah. It was a uh, like sort of our our attempt to do a fantasy war for the fate of the world, uh, Lord of the Rings style, um, taking a few elements from like World War II because you have uh, a couple people who are developing magical super weapons and such, but like you start out as refugees from a war trying to, you know, get some stolen secrets to the resistance. And by the end of it, you're, you know, like leading armies, you're making allies, uh, you're learning the yeah. secrets of the city. Yeah. That's a lot more traditional high fantasy than Zeitgeist is. Yes. Yeah. It's pretty solid. The sort of Dragon Nancy, Lord of the Ringsy kind of, that kind of setting. Yeah, and like we mention it for in Level Up here and there. I know it's not as as Zeitgeist is um, in in the Level Up book. I don't think, but like we could theoretically go back to it. I have like a few inklings of ideas. Um, like yeah, I I do want to expand that setting as well. Oh. Both of the settings I want to expand. It's no point having any settings and never doing anything with them ever again. Oh. Yeah, mm. it's like I know I know Wizard of the Coast likes doing that, but I don't think. We- <laughs> <laughs> I don't think oh, that should necessarily be, oh, <laughs> be anybody's business model. Uh, <laughs> we do have to wind up now. Ryan, thanks for coming on. Um, the Kickstarter ends on yeah. Tuesday. Uh, you can pick up the PDF for £7. You can pick up the soft cover for £20. Literally, when this goes out, only got three days to go, so don't don't miss out on this one. And as an add-on, don't forget, you can, for a mere 30 of your English pounds, or maybe British pounds, if you wish to so spend, uh, collect all 13 of the next level 3 to 20 Zeitgeist uh, Adventure Path, which we've been talking about. Okay, so What's 30 divided by 13? 30 divided by 13. Mm, it's like one... Less than, less, uh, less, less no, than no, a pound. It's more than. 2.3 or something. More than. Yeah. And for an extra 117 pounds, you can get a uh, full-on top hat. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> provided by crafted, Ryan. Crafted by, personally by Ryan. <laughs> using only a hammer in its creation. Some people actually launches. Is it, what's, the, what's the haberdashery? Is that? Is that yeah, maybe it's haberdashery? Yeah. haberdashery? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan, yeah. not haberdasherer at large. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get out of here. Let's burn. We're done. We're done. We are finished. Yeah, yeah. Podcast is over. Ta-da. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Peter. Right. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. 
If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. Uh, do we have a gaming tablet press? Because uh, I feel like we should, like, I don't know, try to find, uh, like, get, get photos of game designers going about their business and then, like, sell it for, you know, five or six dollars. Just, yeah, terrible idea. Well, like, so, someone, someone glaring at a computer or, like, staring at Do you know what the sad thing is? I think if someone did basically do a tabloid website yes. with clickbaity shock headlines and stuff, and it wouldn't be about photographing game designers, but just like finding the worst possible take on every single bit of information. Oh, Russ, we already have that. It's called Twitter. <laughs> well, yeah, all right. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. But I, I think it would do really yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, everybody would hate it, and everybody would claim not to read it, but everybody would be reading that website. <laughs>